again. Hey, Jub. How's it going? I mean, besides refreshing Google to see what happened in, in the, the America today. Oh, something happened, all right, mm-hmm. in the America this week. No, it wasn't election results. Stop it. No, it's not over. Don't, don't even worry about it. Okay? Yeah, I, I mean, I hope it's over, but it won't be over. But whenever you're listening to this, like nine days after we record it or whatever, uh, we, we still won't know. We still won't. No, we'll have no idea. And even if we do know, know Trump will be like, we still don't know. You know, right. like I'm still president. Never mind. Never mind all this. But anyway, <laughs> what, what's the other thing? System of a down. Oh, yeah. At least a new track. At least two new tracks. Yeah, a little EP. I mean, I mean, it's like a single. It's like set up like a like an old single, like an A B side. Yeah. Um, right. This is really cool, man. It's been 15 years since they've released new material. They've on and off performed shows over the years, but, but you know, this band has failed to get back together multiple times. Um, the egos in the band seem to clash really hard and make it so that they never can really get back together fully. Um, but now, uh, because, you know, they're uh, Armenian and they're very proud and they want to bring awareness to the current uh, war that's fucking happening. Uh, they're putting out new material for the first time in a decade and a half. Yeah, it's it's, it's honestly awesome. Well, it um, is, except for the circumstances that are leading to them finding it important enough to come back. That's not right. quite awesome. No, no, that's terrible. But <laughs> but it's, it's it's awesome to see that they like put aside whatever the problems they were having and like, for a, for a good cause. Yeah, right. Uh, to bring attention to something that uh. Most people's eyes aren't on right now, especially in America right now with the election happening. This is a this is an issue that transcended politics for them. I don't know if you remember uh, their their drummer was saying some uh, uh, pro Trump anti BLM shit over the summer, and uh, mm-hmm. that uh, drew a lot of uh, more division than already was there with the band. But uh, this is more important to them. Uh, as a whole, collectively, and they've all banded together and put out new music. And um, they're really fucking good. Yeah. And I think that's the part that surprised me the most, because, you know, System is like new metal. I mean, it's not like most new metal. I don't know. But, like, it was. it came from that era. So 15 years later, that's not necessarily even close to what music sounds like now. Uh, um, and I was kind of worried that like, you know, when I heard that these tracks existed, that they wouldn't sound quite like what I want system to sound like. And I think my worry for that was kind of based in stuff that Surge has put out and stuff that Scars on Broadway have put out, um, have kind of like failed to really even come close to those classic system albums. Yeah. And, but here it's like, it's like they didn't skip a beat. I'm actually really impressed with these tracks. Me too. I'm, I'm very, very impressed. And, uh, 
I don't know. Do, do you think they release more material? I don't know. Um, there's a, a piece on this from Rolling Stone that they released alongside this where they talked to a lot of members of the band. And um, I think very much the consensus amongst everyone was we're kind of just doing this to raise awareness for this thing that's happening. Like it was important enough for us to do this because, you know, they know that releasing these songs as system of a down and not, you know, just as surge or scars is going to raise more eyebrows and get more attention and eyeballs on it. True. True. So I think for the most part, they're kind of like focused on that and it's not really, you know, a reunion in, in, in a, in the usual sense of the word. Right. But, uh, maybe if these tracks, uh, do their job and raise a lot of money and get a lot of awareness and get a lot of people talking about system of a down again, maybe, you know, I'm not going to say never weirder things have happened, but, uh, this is definitely something I didn't see happening in, but 2020 is a weird year. So it's a very strange year. Yeah. It's been uh very interesting. Both tracks are really good and they're also really different from each other. I like that. Like the, the, the first one kind of embraces the more like, uh, anthem kind of like system songs like stuff like hypnotize and uh like maybe even like soldier side or something like the harmonies between yeah. uh both surge and and damon are, are really mm -hmm. really good classic shit and then the second one is more of a crazy insane track that's a lot more fast and in your face like you know they got a lot of songs like Chicken Stew, yeah, that, I -E -A -I -A -E -O, right, that's, <laughs> all that shit. Yeah, that's all straight up blast beats. I was yeah. like, hell yeah. Uh, it, it's good performances all around. I'm, I'm like really surprised and shocked that this is good. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I'm used to being disappointed by uh, reunions of this sort. Yeah, don't blame you. Like, it's almost what we've been used to, you know? But, I, re I remember that Prophets of Rage album, Justin. Oh, God, I, yeah. Uh, I, I remember. <laughs> Not that that's a complete reunion, but you, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, uh, not great. But anyway, yeah. Go, go listen to those. They're really good. Yeah, please. Go listen to them. There's a lot to enjoy there. Um, especially if you like to down in the past. It's like a, just a return, you know? It's like that there wasn't 15 years between them releasing new material. It feels like it could have came out in 2006. It's really right. neat. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Check it out. Everybody, welcome to the Ken and Job Show. That's Ken. Hi, how you doing? I'm stuffed up. How you doing? And I'm not stuffed up, Job. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. So um, I uh, I got a cold. It's not COVID. I, at least I tell myself that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's certainly not COVID. I think I would have known by now. 
But I'm really stuffed up, so apologies if I sound a little uh, more nasally and <sighs> more uh, if I'm breathing heavy throughout this, uh, which I guess is somewhat normal anyway from <laughs> listening back on some of these episodes. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's not that bad. I mean, it's better than it was the past couple of days. At least that's good to hear. At yeah. Least. But uh, you know, my life for a couple of days now has just been eating cough drops and hitting refresh on Google, and uh, nah, it's still two sixty four. Oh, well, that's cool. All right. Well, you know, it's you know, <laughs> maybe somebody will be president eventually. <sighs> One of these times, I'm gonna refresh, and it's gonna say. 270 Kanye West and I'm going to be like whoa what happened and uh and then I'll wake up <laughs> yeah dude hmm. so at least for the time being we can uh talk about an excellent movie Catwoman yeah that's the one we watched we watched Catwoman again <laughs> Catwoman 3 Return of the King. Um, no, nah, yeah, no, nah, we watched, like, one of the best movies ever made. Um, the third Lord of the Rings movie, Return of the King, capping off the trilogy. And in a perfect world, we would be done with this franchise and end on a high note. But we don't live in a perfect world, and we still have three Hobbit movies to watch. But that's all right. It's been a while since I've seen those. I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll have, quote unquote, fun revisiting them. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about this, Justin? I the Hobbit. Looking forward, I'm not too enthused. That's why I said quote but, unquote. Uh, yeah, quote, yeah. I'm, I'm quote unquote enthused. Yeah, I promise. Mm-hmm. Can't you hear it in my voice? I'm so. Are you excited to eat them Hobbit grand slams at Denny's? My God, I forgot about those. <laughs> Eat like a hobbit. Come in for second breakfast here at Denny's. Oh my God! But anyway, I forgot that. Uh, great movie. Um, I watched the extended edition yet again. Did you? Probably not. No. I, once again, it's, it, there's no reason to stop now. All right. I continued on my my theatrical edition escapade. Here's what's funny about that. For the Lord of the Rings movies, I'm having a better time than you, I think, watching the extended versions as opposed to theatrical. Then we'll go into Uh, The Hobbit, and I will have a worse time than you watching the extended versions, and you're watching the theatrical. Correct. (laughs) At least that's my prediction, because The Hobbit uh, adds too much already, and adding more... It's pretty ridiculous, but uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I haven't seen all of them, and it's been a while since I've seen any of them, but uh, we'll get to that in a bit. What have you been doing this week and absolutely surrounding? N- absolutely nothing. Um, I'll have more to talk about next week, though, because the new Destiny expansion will be out. Hey, Destiny... Um, and that out in the meantime, I've just been, I got a new job. So I'll be just grinding out on that. All right. 
Uh, nothing else than what I talked about last week. Coming up, though. We're coming up on some juicy new content. Well, I got a couple things that I can bitch about here, and I will use yeah, this platform to do so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, <clears throat> well, first I'll talk about something positively. Um, Disney's Star Wars is the, the Mandalorian Season 2 started. Uh, it's currently... There are two episodes out right now of the new second season, and uh, it's really good. I highly recommend that, especially if you're someone that's grown disillusioned with Star Wars over the course of their not-well-planned-out trilogy uh, of 7, 8, and 9. Now, I mean, you know, opinions on on those are very uh, good and bad across the board. Mostly bad, because, I mean, like, you know, I do agree with a lot of criticisms of those, but the internet is a horrible place uh, that says a lot of horrible things, and I don't agree with all of that. Uh, I just wish they turned out better. But uh, Mandalorian seems to be a lot more of a crowd pleaser, a lot less people hate it. Uh, everybody seems to like it, and I appreciate how different it is from other Star Wars content. It's just uh, every episode's kind of its own little self-contained thing, and then it ends, and then another little self-contained thing comes next week, and there's a bit of an overarching story and some recurring characters, but for the most part, it's just the Mandalorian and the, the little baby Yoda. And then it's like, uh-oh, this week they go to Tatooine. And run into this monster, and then this week they go to an ice planet and encounter this monster, and you know it's it's like a I, I miss television like this in a sense because most TV shows are designed to be dramas that are continuous and have you know overarching plots. And things that flow into each other over the course of a season. This is very 90s TV. And it's weirdly nostalgic. But not necessarily for classic Star Wars, but for that. But with a Star Wars paint job on it. Uh, mm. It's interesting. I highly recommend it. I don't know if you watched any of season one, Justin. I have not watched any of it at all. I have a lot of TV to catch up on and watch other stuff. I would do that. It's really good. Um... Not every episode is a slam dunk, mind you. So far with season two, I'm I'm feeling that like the consistency is a little better. But uh, season one definitely had some duds in there, and season two may end up having that as well. But you'll have that. They have a lot of different creators, and not all of them are as good. But for the most part, it's a lot of fun. Uh... So some sad video game news hit me a couple days ago. Uh, a game that me and you uh, both play a lot and have loved. Friday the 13th of the game uh, is getting one final update. And that update is fixing a bunch of bugs. But then it is also shutting down the servers. And, well, it's uh, shutting down the dedicated servers. Yeah. Yes. Now, those... So, you will still be able to play the game online. 
but now it'll be peer-to-peer matchmaking as opposed to server side. And, uh, you know, I'm an idiot, so I had to look up and ask people what that means. Uh, as far as I can tell, it means that now one of the people in the match will be hosting the match, and that could impact uh, the quality of said matches. Friday, you know, while it is a bit of a glitchy game, is stable to a degree, and that is mainly because of the servers that they employ. Those are gone. Uh, I'm assuming that the player base for the game may dwindle because of this, but hopefully not a significant amount. I have yet to see, but obviously we're heading up on a next generation of gaming consoles. Eventually this game will die, but uh, it's it's sad to me to see, but it was going to happen eventually. Right. So, um, I don't know. I hope that it still has a couple more years left in the tank, especially because I don't have the plat yet. I'm not going to get the plat. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, let me be deluded. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. Um, I don't know. Should we just have a segment every week called Tony Hawk news? Oh no! Do you have more? Okay, yeah. it feels Keep like it feels like almost every episode I just have Tony Hawk news. Oh, here we go. Tony Hawk news. Go for it. All right. Uh, hi everybody. This is Zach Enhart with uh, Tony Hawk News, <laughs> the new podcast inside this podcast that uh, I'll be doing. Uh, let's say let's say whenever there's Tony Hawk news. Maybe not be every week. But, uh, hey, so uh, I've been having a bit of an issue with that Tony Hawk game that I've uh, talked about before on this podcast. And that is I can't plat the damn thing uh, because the plat requires you to get to level 100. Uh, Level 100, you'd think, would be easily attainable through getting XP by doing all the challenges in the game. Now, I have yet to do all the challenges in the game, but I don't have very many left, and I've added up the XP... And it will not get me to level 100, not even close. However, uh, there has been an update just uh, today when we're recording this on Friday, November 7th, or 6th, sorry. It's after midnight now. (laughs) Um, An update that has added over 100 new challenges to the game that reward you lots of XP This is, uh, there's, so there's good and bad news with this. The good news is now it is way easier to get to level 100, and people will actually be able to do it. The bad news is the challenges added, um, the majority of them require you to play the career mode over and over and over again. So... Originally, uh, when you go to play the career for Tony Hawk 1 and 2, your progress would be for every single character. Uh, The only thing you'd have to go and redo, as all the different characters, would be to get their stat points. Now there is a different screen, and this is individual tour progress. Uh, So every character has their own completion on each of the two games in the franchise. 
Tony Hawk 1 and Tony Hawk 2 that are present in this game. To unlock all of these multitudes of challenges for this mode, you will have to complete all the goals in 1 and 2 with 24 characters. Now, by this point, I have kind of done this stuff to death already. I had to replay the levels to get everybody's stat points for challenges. I had to replay the levels a lot to do speedruns of these levels. And even though I have only actually beat it one time, uh, it's not the most fun thing to just make me do it 24 more times. So that's the bad news. Good news is um, I'm stupid enough to do it. So, um, <laughs> Platt, here I come. It's it's at least visible. It's on the horizon. I can almost taste it. Uh, <laughs> and then they added a lot of other bullshit challenges that uh, seem impossible. Uh, some that require you to get ridiculous scores while doing some gap. Like, I think there's one that's like, hey, do the holy shit gap in the warehouse, which is grinding the entire back half pipe. And I'm like, that doesn't sound so bad. And then it says, while getting 20 million points. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's a lot, though. That's, like, way a lot. That's, like, way too much. But, uh, okay. Thank you there. And then that's the end of Tony Hawk News. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Great job, Ken. All right. It's episode one of Tony Hawk News in, in the book. All right, let me let me bitch about a comic book real quick. All right, you go for it. And by real quick, I mean I don't know how long this is going to be because I'm pretty passionately uh, upset about this. Uh, even though I mean it's just a comic book, but you know. So, uh, Justin, maybe you can identify with me on this one. Uh, Jeff Johns is a man who I used to um, like and respect uh, as a comic writer. And I'm going to say used to here, because uh, recently there's some news that have come to light that maybe, maybe he's an asshole. Uh, I don't know how much of that you've heard about. Not much. Well, uh... You know how um, Ray Fisher has been uh, pretty upset about how he and other people were treated on the set of Justice League when it was run yeah. by Joss Whedon? Uh, he is alleging that a lot of that was also perpetrated by Jeff Johns. And uh, he has gone so far as to suggest that Jeff Johns threatened the future of his career and... Perhaps there's even some uh, racially motivated things at play here. Uh, a lot of things have been denied. Uh, Ray Fisher seems to think that they intentionally removed lots of minority roles from the film. Uh, I don't really know where I stand on that whole thing. Uh, as we've talked about before, about Justice League, a lot of it was a mess, and it's hard to know where, like... The, the line is on this movie like how much of it was them trying to fix Zack Snyder's shit and how much of it was them actually being terrible I think it can all be happening at the same time it's just really hard to tell uh, I guess we'll find out more when 
uh, the, the Snyder Cut comes out. But anyway, that's not even what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about Jeff John's new comic, uh, Batman, The Three Jokers. There's three of them. Why? Why? <laughs> Man, I remember, yeah, I remember when this was announced forever ago. Right. So, Jeff John's writing. Jason uh, Fabok? I don't, I don't know how to say his last name on pencils. Uh, let, me, let me preface this by saying that Fab- Fabok's uh, art in this series is phenomenal. It's extremely good. Um, I feel a lot the same about this as I do about the Doomsday Clock, which also had phenomenal art, but was also written by Jeff Johns. And there's a lot of similarities between these two projects. Uh, For one, they are semi-sequels to works by Alan Moore, and they shit all over it. And I'm not a fan of that, because those are really good comics. I'm talking about, of course, Watchmen in the case of Doomsday Clock and The Killing Joke in the case of Three Jokers. This is in many ways a sequel to The Killing Joke and also lots of Batman stories. But you could tell that the key inspiration and the key preceding story here is The Killing Joke. It's got that nine panel grid. It's got similar art. So, yeah, like, I mean, I'm assuming that you've heard about the fact that this was happening years ago, just like I did. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this was teased way back in the new 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Johns was writing Justice League at the time, and towards the end of his run, there's this bit where Batman sits on this chair called the Mobius chair, and, uh, well, whatever. Without getting into the lore of all that, which has nothing to do with Three Jokers, uh, it's a chair that answers questions for you. And uh, Batman's like, all right. Who's the Joker? And I guess uh, we don't see what the chair says, but then Batman says, that's not possible. So DC Rebirth starts, the uh, reboot to the reboot. Yeah, DC just does this a lot. Uh, And that sets up that the answer is that uh, there are three Jokers. The chair said, which Joker? There are three. And Batman's like, huh? So that was in 2015 or 2016. And uh, this mystery has lingered and been set up for a long time. And this whole time I'm like, wow, it must be really good because, you know, it's been built up for this long. So the story that this is going to spawn must be incredibly complex and incredibly uh, great. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but then I, I started to fall out of love with Jeff John's comics, uh, with Doomsday Clock, which is kind of terrible. Um, and it it doesn't start out terrible, but the more you get into it, the more fucking lame it is. And it's just like making, making a sequel to Watchmen is a tall order. Uh, one that the HBO series pulls off quite tremendously, but uh, pulling off a Watchmen sequel and simultaneously crossing it over with Superman and Batman and the rest of the DC Universe is a dumb idea. And one that doesn't really work well, as it turns out. Uh, 
This is similarly something that um, is is not great in its execution. I, I think the the overall uh, idea is actually kind of interesting because Joker, like uh, tons of comic book characters, uh, has had tons and tons and tons of very different interpretations over the years. And, uh, you know, when we went through the Batman movies, there's, like, a big difference between Cesar Romero and Mark Hamill and Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger and uh, Jared Leto and Joaquin Phoenix. Like, there's a big difference between all of them. It's, it's this interesting evolution of a character. So this idea that maybe there's not just one singular identity to this character and the mystery of that could be something interesting. Uh, turns out it's terrible. Let's get into <laughs> it, Justin. Okay. All right. So this is a three issue miniseries that is maybe sort of canon or maybe sort of not. And I don't really have an answer for that because there's lots of things that are in it that are not canon anymore. And Lots of things that uh, are contradicted by other events in Batman comics recently. I think Alfred died recently. He's in this. So its placement and continuity is very iffy. That being said, it doesn't really matter. And I'll get to why. So there's three Jokers, Justin. Who are they? Great. All right. So he gives them titles so that you can differentiate them. There's the Criminal. The Clown. And the comedian. The criminal is the original OG Joker from like Batman issue one in the 40s. He is more of a, you know, like the design of the Joker originally was like kind of like a parody gangster outfit. The zoot suit, you know what I mean? And yeah. and he's he's a lot more interested in actually committing crime and being a criminal than being a psychotic clown. The Clown is the era from the Cesar Romero Joker leading up to Jason Todd's death, is kind of how I feel about it. Um, he's a lot more into the props, you know, the buzzer on the hand and the jacks in the box and the playing cards. That's his shtick. Uh, and that Joker kind of like, as the Joker got darker, faded away. I would say, in comic book history. The big turning point is probably the death of Jason Todd. And then you got the comedian, and this is explicitly the Joker from The Killing Joke to present, which, like, it is probably the big turning point in how the Joker is portrayed in a lot of things. Uh, the big turning point in how he was portrayed more violently and more sadistically is The Killing Joke. That led to how he was portrayed by Jack Nicholson in the Tim Burton Batman and all that shit up to now where he's even more violent and sadistic. But that's the comedian Joker. So the story focuses on Batman, Batgirl and Red Hood. Uh, all three of them are investigating why there are three Jokers, because there's three crimes committed at the same time all on camera by the Joker. That should be impossible 
how are there three of them? And they begin investigating. And it's interesting that it's these three, and I think that is a good idea, because all three of them have shared trauma, mental and physical, from the Joker. Obviously, he crippled Batgirl in the killing joke, and he killed Red Hood, who is Jason Todd. So I get what Jeff Johns is going for here by having them be the three main characters. So, but what's what's going on in this story? Why? What? What are? The, what's the Joker's plan? Well, it's uh, it's to make a more Jokers, Justin. There are three. Great. But they want there to be more. But explicitly. That's probably not a word to describe this. Whatever. They want they want a better Joker, is how they refer to it as. Like, a Joker that is more of a foe to Batman than any of these three. I don't really know what they mean by that at any point in the comic. Other than there's some vague notion that the Joker not having an identity... Because his alias is unknown, means that he can never have a big, deep, personal connection to Batman, uh, and therefore make a better villain. I think is the idea. Uh, it's very flimsy and doesn't work. So anyway, our trio fights the clown Joker, and uh, they subdue him. And Batman says, "I'm going to go investigate one of these other things." You guys stay here and make sure that he doesn't escape. <coughs> Excuse me. You're excused. <laughs> so here's the only good thing that I like in this comic. Uh, the only good moment. Uh, Red Hood is a character that just murders people like the Punisher. He's more of a violent vigilante than Batman. He doesn't believe in the no-kill rule. So he just kills this Joker. He just shoots him in the head. And says, you know, fuck it. He killed no, he killed like... me. Screw him. I'm not playing this shit. And that's that's in the first issue, by the way. So you're down to two jokers <laughs> already at the start. Uh, I'll give it props as being a twist I didn't really see coming. <clears throat> and I thought it was, you know, an interesting way to start this story off. But then it gets stupid. Um... The the uh, after this happens, like Batgirl's really edgy about it and is like, I can't believe you just killed him. You can't just kill people, Jason. He's like, why not? He's the Joker. Also, he killed me. He doesn't deserve to live. Especially like you know, what about the stuff that the Joker did to you? But they disagree on this, and the other two Jokers end up beating the shit out of Jason and. I guess their plan is to turn him into a Joker, Red Hood, because he'll be somebody that's connected to Batman and therefore a good Joker to make. Like, they're literally, like, getting the Ace Chemicals acid and moving it to other places so that they can dump people in it to make Jokers, Justin. Uh, <laughs> like, it's really okay. stupid. Like, they have piles and piles of and piles of bodies that they have thrown into this acid, and it kills most people. There's, like, hordes of, like, jokerized zombies 
that attack the heroes throughout this thing, and it is completely stupid. As as you can expect, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but anyway, they decide to abandon the plan to make Red Hood a Joker, but a lot of trauma happens because they have him tied up and they beat him with a crowbar, just like, you know, when he died. <sighs> Batgirl tries to help him through his trauma, and um, they have this weird, forced, romantic moment between Jason Todd and Barbara Gordon. And uh, I hate it. It really echoes previous missteps DC has taken with Batgirl. Uh, I guess the big one would be the Killing Joke movie where they had her just fuck Batman for some reason. I really feel like a lot of the time these writers don't know how to write Batgirl or any girl for that matter. And, uh, they just fuck it up and just pair her with any, any guy whatsoever and, uh, see what happens. (coughs) And, uh, I I think that's pretty lame and it's very forced and doesn't work. But anyway, we get to the main dumb event of this whole comic. (coughs) Man. All right, another cough drop. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) The Joker's new plan is to turn Joe Chill, the man who originally killed the Waynes, Bruce's parents... Uh, their plan is to turn him into a Joker. Their reasoning is that he'd be the perfect villain for Batman with an identity tied to his origin. Uh, they don't explicitly reference Batman 89 here, but I think that's kind of like the origin point of this whole idea. Uh, that like the Joker and that killed his parents. Uh, okay. Joe Schill's presented as sympathetic. He regrets the murders. <clears throat> but then this is all dashed because apparently this isn't the actual plan. The comedian Joker kills the criminal Joker and goes, ha ha, I'll tell you what the real plan is. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Uh, this, <laughs> uh, it's not it's not presented as a certainty who the original Joker is, by the way. We don't know which one created the others. That's great. At any point. So the comedian Joker, he planned for this whole thing to happen, and it was just to make Batman save the person he should hate the most because there's this part where like they're about to drop Joe chill in the acid to turn him into a Joker and Batman saves the life of the man who killed his parents. Joker's reasoning for making this happen is that it will give him closure with Joe chill and thus leave only the Joker as Batman's true nemesis and only point of focus. At least that's what I think is happening here, because it's not explained very well. Now, the Joker is an insane person, so he obviously isn't going to tell you straight up that uh, this is what the point was, I guess. But I don't even know if Jeff Johns knows what the point is here. It's uh, it's really awkward and not pulled off well. This twist, like, how, like Batman's focus is between like thousands of other villains, 
at any given moment. Right. There's tons of adversaries for Batman, not just the Joker. So the Joker's saying, oh, I needed you to have closure with Joe Chill so that I'm your only focus is a really stupid point. Right. That doesn't make any sense. They wrap up the Jason and Barbara plot by Jason leaving her a note and saying, I really love you, Barbara, and I'm going to change my ways. But hilariously, like the note falls off the door and gets swept away by a janitor. That way they never have to reference this in continuity ever again. Uh, <laughs> um, it's really embarrassing and stupid. Um, I, I don't know. It just feels like they that he wanted to play around with this idea. Because what if Batgirl and Red Hood hooked up? But, like, he doesn't go too far with it because he doesn't want other people to have to write stories about it, I guess. Uh, like, it, it's so, like, non-committal and, also, and just misguided in its attempt at all. Then we get to the really stupid reveal of this story. And the thing that makes me most mad, uh, besides it just being poorly written and not good... So at the end of all this, Alfred is talking to Batman. And he says, boy, it's a shame that this whole ordeal didn't get you any closer to finding out the Joker's true identity. And Batman tells him, ha ha, Alfred, not to use that joke that everybody uses, but I'm Batman. I knew who the Joker was two months after I met him. And then we get a retconning of events from The Killing Joke. Uh, That comic is very famous for having flashbacks to the Joker's past in it. It's his origin. It is... And and you've read that, right? You've read Killing Joke. I'm sure you have. Of course. So you know how the, the events that lead him to become the Joker are several things that all happen over the course of one day. He has one bad day. And it leads him to become a psychopath. That's the whole point. So, one of the big things that happens is cops tell him his wife, who was pregnant, died. And it crushes him. Because the entire reason he's doing, you know, the crime that leads him to fall into the vat of acid is to get money for his wife and kid, who are now dead. And also, he loves them, so that crushes him. Duh. Uh, It's a big, crushing moment. And it is completely fucked over here by Jeff Johns. It's revealed that Joker's pregnant wife uh, survived and was put into protective custody in Alaska after requesting police assistance with uh, leaving her husband. Uh, She she says that uh, she doesn't think he'll let her leave so she has these cops lie to him, and they literally show the panel from The Killing Joke redrawn of him being told that his wife is dead by the same cops she just talked to in another panel. And uh, apparently, Batman has never revealed Joker's identity to anyone so that he can protect the lives of the wife and son he doesn't know he has. And, uh, yeah... This is all off. <laughs> Here's the kicker. Amazingly, this contradicts the entire reason the story was teased in the first place. Because <laughs> Batman asked the chair, who is the Joker? 
And yet, this story tells us that he knew the whole time. Incredible, honestly. I, I can only clap in awe of what Jeff Johns has delivered here. Uh, I mean, there you can make an argument, I suppose, that Batman was just testing if the chair worked, wink, wink. But uh, that's kind of a cop-out. What really happened was Jeff Johns had an interesting idea, but he didn't have a story to go along with it, and that's why it took seven or six years for this comic to come out. And that's right. why when it did finally come out, it was a huge fucking disappointment and a half. Um, I think his previous success has kind of led Jeff Johns into this kind of creative rut where a lot of the time he's writing these stories that are a little more galaxy brain than he should be doing. I think like this is a story that like I could see potentially someone like uh, Grant Morrison tackling and maybe pulling off to some degree, but not Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns is more like big, like, you know, like blackest night. It's a big event comic with a lot of dumb, big action scenes and moments. That's what I think of him as. I don't think of him as these like, you know, character deconstruction big stories that are supposed to be like, you know, change the character forever and like just be these like groundbreaking comics. No, he's like a big dumb event action comic guy. So I don't know where, like, you know, I know where his ego came from. It was from all his success, but I've really not enjoyed a Jeff Johns comic in some time. And well, yeah, this is possibly the worst thing he's ever made so far. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to bitch about that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, but uh, <laughs> I understand why. Jesus, <laughs> it, it's a uh, it, it's a it's a frustrating read from someone that used to be a fan of this man. And uh, I give it three jokers out of ten. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's trash. It's absolutely well, it trash. trash Let's talk about something that's trash. Though. Yeah, let's let's please let's talk about something. Absolutely not trash. Lord of the Rings. Turn of the King. It's a good movie. Thank God. This time. This time. Uh-huh. Me with the deets, buddy. What have we got? Let's see here. Let me scroll past all my terrible Joker notes. There we go. December of 2003, we got this movie. Did you see it in a theater like the other two, I assume? Sure did. Hell yeah. Opening weekend. I mean, yeah. I think everyone on the planet did. <laughs> it was a very high-grossing movie. Um, it's, it's one of the most celebrated and successful films of all time. Like, what else can you really say? It just is. And, and the other two already were, too. So it's this really special thing of, like, all three movies are just this big, giant, unimaginably huge pop culture thing that, like, you know, besides maybe the original Star Wars trilogy is, like, the, the biggest trilogy to ever exist. Right. 
and uh, I guess unsurprisingly, the third one's the best one because it caps off everything quite well and has the most epic, great moments of the whole trilogy in it. Now, there's not much to talk about as far as the making of this. We've already kind of like went over all of that. <clears throat> I will say this one had over 1,400 effects shots, which uh, is double that th that is in Two Towers, and is triple that that is in Fellowship of the Ring, which is uh, crazy to think. But there is a lot of CGI craziness happening in this movie. Our only major new actor is John Noble, playing Denethor. Uh, Noble has also appeared in video games L.A. Noir and Batman Arkham Knight as the Scarecrow. Uh, I recently saw him play Butcher's father on The Boys. Uh, he always seems to play an asshole, uh, and Denethor is no exception. Uh, he actually first appears in the extended edition of The Two Towers, but uh, if you didn't watch that, then he first appears in this. And in this, he has a larger role anyway. Right. So let's just talk about some scenes and shit, man. Yeah, I'll, sure I'll thing. Get to stuff as we go. I don't know. There's there's a whole lot to go where, like, just just even from, like, the open, you get the other establishment of where everybody's at and everything. And the Hobbit's... Climbing up the giant rocks. Hanging out hanging out with the Smeag. Yep. <laughs> hanging out with the Smeag who's trying to kill them. Yeah, he's leading them I, I, he's leading them to Shilob in this one. Fun times. I uh, I watched I watched this film with my with my girlfriend. Who's weird? She didn't want to watch any of the other ones. King. I don't know. Well the weird thing about Return of the King is that it actually kinda works on its own, too. Uh I, I think it works better as a third movie than just watching this one, obviously. But yeah. I, certainly, I've re I've watched this one more than the other two. Uh, when I watch Lord of the Rings, I want to watch all three, usually. But I have rewatched Return of the King quite a bit, just because it is the best. And I know what happens already, anyway. So, so sometimes you don't gotta fuck with the other two. You can just jump right into Return of the King, and it's fine. Uh, Sometimes that's what you're in the mood for, you know? Yeah, I... Man. But yeah, like, even, like, from the from the jump, it was really funny. She hadn't watched these rappers. She didn't like it the first time she saw it. No. But she was really enjoying herself uh, this time. But right off the jump, she was like, man... Sam just carries this shit, huh? It's true. Like, yeah. It's true. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, people give, like, people focus on that a lot and go, like, well, like, well, the Frodo fucking sucks. Frodo doesn't even do anything. And I think it's just, like, mainly... If it was Frodo, if it was Sam holding the ring, it would have been the same, like, thing, is what I feel. Right. Like, it's just, like, the person who is burdened with having to hold the ring is going to be the one who ends up being an asshole and ends up being like semi-useless towards the end because they're the one with the ring and right. its power is so great that it makes them like a fucking asshole just like Frodo at the end when he's like you know I'm not I'm not throwing this shit away 
<laughs> Let's extend this climax further. Um, oh, I know something I want to talk about. Because you did not see this scene. <sighs> Let's talk about Saruman and how he is in the extended edition and not in the theatrical edition. <laughs> uh so uh, when 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 the gang shows up to Isengard and sees Treebeard briefly, and uh, Gandalf gets the the uh, orb in the river there, Saruman's mm-hmm. orb. <sighs> I forget the actual name of it. His magic wizard orb that lets him see Sauron or some shit. Um. So you watch theatrical. Have you ever seen extended edition for this? At all? I uh, I have once. Okay. Are you aware of the Saruman scene? Have you seen the Saruman scene? I am aware of it, okay. yes. Um, it's a really interesting scene that I wish was still in the movie in theatrical. Because I think it serves to tie up a lot of stuff that, like, lingers from Two Towers. He is still alive at the end of Two Towers, and I guess we're just supposed to, like, not, like, think about him in this movie. Uh, So Jackson felt that a scene dedicated to killing off the villain from the second film was unnecessary when the third film's villain is Sauron alone. And so this scene was cut from the theatrical version and saved for the extended edition. Uh, Christopher Lee was very upset that his final scene was removed, uh, stating his relationship with Peter Jackson turned icy for a while. Uh, The two eventually reconciled as Lee does appear in the Hobbit films as Saruman, I think possibly his last film roles, but um, he died in 2015, I believe. Or 2016. Um, so the scene is them trying to talk to Saruman and say, you know, we won't kill you. Come down here and tell us what you know about Sauron. And he's like, fuck all y'all. And, uh, you know, the king of Rohan is, is there and he's like, hey, Wormtongue, who is also up there. Uh, if you come down, you know, we can talk about this and forgive you and shit. You know, you gotta not be, like, part of Sauron's, I uh, miss Saruman's, uh, gang there. And Saruman's like, you know, fuck off. And, uh, Wormtongue decides to stab Saruman. And then Legolas shoots Wormtongue with an arrow. And then Saruman falls off the fucking tower. And lands on a big fucking, like, uh... What do you call it? Like one of those, uh, like water powering windmill things that go yeah. in the water. Like he's impaled on one of those, and then he like it, it starts going, it, like turning, and he goes in the water. And then it cuts to Treebeard saying, "The filth of Saruman is washing away," and that floored me because that line's in the theatrical, and he just says that. All this it time, all this time, Treebeard was making a pun, Justin. Yeah, dude. About Saruman getting murdered. 
I think this scene is great, and it gives a lot of closure to your secondary villain of the entire trilogy. I wish it was in the theatrical. I, I agree with Christopher Lee. <laughs> I really do. Um, it's kind of comical that this big bad wizard villain gets killed so easily, but fuck it. It's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. I wish it was still in here. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. It, it's it's a good scene. Um, I think I don't think it takes a whole lot away from the film. No, I just wish it was there still. Right. Now I will tell you about something that is in the extended edition that uh that does does not have to be there. And I wish wasn't. And, you know, for the most part, the extended editions are clearly great. And I recommend them wholeheartedly, all three. But there's this one moment in this movie that I got to talk about here that was embarrassing. So I'm going to describe what is is supposed to be happening in the scene and then what it looks like. Okay? Okay. okay. So Hit me up. Denethor, you know... Asshole father to Boromir and Faramir, uh, who who is who is fucking played great by John Noble in this movie. He's such yeah, an unlikable fuck, and he really just, eats cherries, tomatoes, gross. Oh my god, stop that! Yeah, it's, do not eat those. Oh, dude, like it's that. terrible. <laughs> Everything is eating, just getting like blood on his. Just like squeeze them cherry like, tomatoes to death. Ooh, God, it's gross. But anyway, uh, so what happens in this extended scene is supposed to be this. Uh, Denethor is a bit crazy, and he sees Faramir come in. Just a bit. And he sees a ghostly vision of Boromir instead of Faramir. And he's like, my son, Boromir. And, And then Faramir's, like, confused. And then Denethor, like, I guess snaps out of his vision because he's a crazy person and then he's like it's faramir basically (laughs) like like i i'm paraphrasing here but like basically the vibe of the scene is that he has a vision he thinks he sees the son that he likes turns out it's the son that he doesn't like and he's shitty about it however the effect of the ghostly sean bean is so poorly done and I, I don't even know how they okayed this. It looks like shit. Just <laughs> um, the ghostly Sean Bean does this like weird like he's in the opening credits to a sitcom thing where like he turns around and smiles. Like it's like, you know, and starring Sean Bean as Boromir. <laughs> and it's like it's also like awkwardly keyed into the shot. Like it, it it's not well done. And I realize that like it's only in the extended and probably they didn't have Sean Bean. Like it's probably like from another shot somewhere, like that they had, they just reused. But, like, it just looks terrible. And it doesn't really add a whole lot. So, like, I could do without it. <laughs> not, not every change is a great one. Um, now, this is maybe a little nitpicky, but... Uh, so we have the, uh, the dead army that happens in this movie that's fucking awesome. The killer big ghost army that Aragorn goes and recruits. 
so you watched the theatrical cut. Uh, refresh my memory. So they, they he goes and uh, recruits the dead army. Yeah. And he says, like, what say you? And then it cuts away, right? Right. Yeah, it's very when brief. When the dead army re-enters the fray, is it just during the Battle of uh, Pelennor Fields? Yes. Like they just come in like a like a due machina kind of thing? Right. Okay. So in the extended, um, I see, I kind of like that moment. And that's how I remembered it in the theatrical version. I like the moment of them coming in at the last minute and like saving the day. And you're not like expecting them to come. Like by that time, you've probably forgot about it a little bit. In the extended edition, this scene goes on for longer. And the dead king uh, sends a bunch of falling skulls after them. And uh, they fall out of the, the cave. But then he appears again and says, yes, we will fight. Like, definitively. And then there's a little additional scene where... It's a great scene, but I, I think it just, like, kind of kills the uh, the tension of not knowing whether Aragorn's going to show up with a bunch of OP ghosts or not. Uh, they intercept a ship of the evil men recruited by Sauron. And it's this fantastic scene where, uh, you know, it's just it's just Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli strolling up on an entire army, right? So the uh-huh. army's, like, laughing, because they're like, what the fuck do they think they're going to do? And then the, the entire squad of ghosts show up, and they go, oh, shit! Oh, no! <laughs> and um, there's this great moment where they, like, hold them all up, and they say, you're going to give us... Like, they basically, like, steal the boat from them. <laughs> and, uh, like, I think Aragorn is at first saying, we're not going to have to kill all of you if you just let us have the boat. And Legolas has an mm-hmm. arrow trained on the captain, and Gimli, on purpose, bumps into Legolas, and Legolas fucks up and shoots the arrow and kills the guy. And Gimli says, oh, oops. <laughs> and, like, he totally did it on purpose. It's a great little moment. Uh, but I do like the kind of, like, cut away from that storyline without a definitive answer. So... It does add some fun stuff, but for that specific moment of them just appearing, I think I prefer the theatrical on that one. Yeah, I, I, it's it's really awesome. If you can kind of see what I mean, so many times. Yeah, because yeah, like you don't get you don't get a resolute answer, like that. You know, anything is happening with the ghosts, actually. I mean, you kind of figure it, but you don't know. Well, that's what I'm saying. And then they just kind of show up, and it's awesome. This gives you a definitive answer and has another scene later where they steal a boat and have a bit of a fun moment. So it kind of sucks a little bit of the tension out of the entire battle of Pelennor Fields, where it feels like you don't know if they're going to come back or not with with this squad of ghosts. <clears throat> Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much. I don't know where I would end on that. Like, which one I would prefer, actually? Because you, you do miss out on a fun scene. You do, you do miss also, out on Gimli being an asshole. But there are other right. moments for that throughout the trilogy too. Um, 
it's still fun though. It's it's still fun. Um, that also has the last stuff filmed for the entire trilogy in it. Uh, some shots of falling skulls were shot by Peter Jackson after the movie had already won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. By the way, I think I mentioned this before in a previous episode, but it's about Return of the King. I'll mention it again. Uh, I think Peter Jackson like joked that like it's it's kind of funny to be still working on the movie that you already won an Oscar for. Uh, so, but that's how dedicated they were to making these extended editions, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Um, and I'd like, I think this movie does a really excellent job, like kind of similar to towers, but like this trilogy does a great job, just like, like evenly, like taking you in and out of what these characters are up to balancing all the storylines. Right, and like yeah, I think it balances them almost perfectly. Yeah, it really does because this one divides the cast up even further because you like you know in Two Towers, Mary and Pippin have a collective storyline, and this one they get split up and kind of rejoin other plot lines all to themselves, and it's kind of interesting how everybody is split up and still given a lot of focus throughout the whole thing. I think this one does a really good job of making Merry and Pippin more defined characters, too. Like, the, all all the best shit with them is in Return of the King, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, the, the one thing they don't want to be is separated from each other, but in doing so, you get their best character moments. Right. Uh, Merry going to war anyway with uh, Eowyn, and... Uh, Pippin being, uh, you know, a, a patsy for the not king and getting to sing a song in one of the most depressing and fucked up scenes in the entire trilogy. Uh, that scene is so fucking flawlessly well done. Just the dark fucking reality of just Denethor not giving a shit that he sent the son he doesn't love off to die. And just having, like, that scored with Pippin singing that song and, like, the slow motion shots of, like, horses galloping and, like, people running at each other. It's just so well done. That's like, stands out in my mind. Oh, as, yeah, for as sure. one of the best scenes in the whole trilogy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's harrowing, honestly. Yeah. But fuck that guy. I'm glad he got lit on fire and, and jumped off a cliff to his doom. I love I love how absolutely smug Gandalf was about it. Yeah, I love that he just hits him at that one point where he's just <laughs> yeah, like, "Fuck you, the I'm the leader now." <laughs> like everybody listens too because they hate that fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, you could tell that nobody there liked him at all. Right? Yeah. Well, he's not even the king. He's just like in charge. You know. Faramir gets a good arc here too where like you know he still he still does what his dad wants like I wish that he could have could have seen the light before that but uh at least he gets to live fuck <laughs> and also I mean I guess we, we gotta talk about the actual best moment in all three movies so Uh, Eowyn 
uh, goes to war with the rest of Rohan, despite being uh, mm-hmm. a girl person and uh, not 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 a, not a boy person, and uh, right. <laughs> um, therefore that is not allowed. However, she's like, "Fuck that shit! I'm still gonna do it because this is important to me." Because I don't know Mulan or some shit. So, but this all, you know, what could have been a stereotypical plot device for just a like, yeah, a woman doing the war stuff like the man's how badass is turned on its head into quite possibly one of the best moments in all of fiction where you have the badass, undefeatable, invincible witch king, uh, ring wraith man on a big old fucking dragon beast thing just killing the fuck out of dudes with a giant mace and this giant dragon. Uh, Eowyn walks up to him, and he's like, I can be killed by no man. And she whips off the helmet and says, I am no man, and stabs him in the face. And he dies. And it's the hypest shit ever. Yeah, that effect is super good, too. It's like, you know how like there's that bad moment in... Avengers Endgame where like all the female characters team up in one shot despite the fact that they uh, like half of them don't know each other and it's supposed to be this like rah-rah girl power moment but it just kind of falls flat because it feels forced this is the good version of that where it's hype and makes sense and feels earned for the character it's really fucking good and well done and gets all the hype it deserves as an incredible moment. Mm-hmm. Big agree. So I, I'm trying to remember what's in the extended and what's in the theatrical. Uh, do they show what happens to her in the aftermath of the battle? Obviously her dad dies and she's sad about that, but do they show the aftermath of all that? Um, trying to remember. Do they show her ever again? Is is what my point is. There's one scene. No, no, you, no that's it. Yeah, because there's the one scene where she's like with her dad. They like says shit, and then, like that's okay. It. So maybe this is just in the extended, but um, I don't know. I'm kind of torn on whether this works or not. But they have her paired up with Faramir at the end of this shit. <clears throat> Faramir is recovering from his injuries and so is she after the battle of uh pelinor fields here and they kind of like look on as the rest of the squad and armies are pulling up to the black gate to do the the big ruse cruise that aragorn wants to send sauron on uh they stay behind because they're super injured and look on for the rest of the battle uh and they do so together and like really closely suggesting a romance between the two of them is at hand here. And that aspect of it, it kind of feels a little forced and too fast considering Eowyn liked Aragorn and admitted that to him in this movie. And he was like, sorry, I can't cause I have an elf waifu you see. And I, <laughs> so I cannot <laughs> return your, uh, your, uh, request by uh aragorn friend zones her in this movie so so um 
in, in that respect, it feels kind of sudden to immediately pair her with somebody else. But I understand why they would choose Faramir because, you know, both of them are like broken people now who just had their dad die and they have conflicting feelings about it. Uh, obviously Eowyn liked her dad and her dad was cool and Faramir, uh, his dad was not, but I get, I get that there's like parallels there and that it makes sense. I just don't know how forced it feels to me. Like I'm kind of conflicted on whether that's a good pairing or not, or whether it's just kind of too sudden considering she just exited a love triangle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I just, there's no like. There's no, like, strong context behind it or anything. I don't know. It's maybe just a hint of what could happen in the future, but, like, it's kind of, like, sudden to me. Right. Yep, I agree. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not not a big fan of it at all. I do, uh... I don't know. There's... Thinking back about it, like... Um... Especially, like, I think that it's the weakest extended edition. In a way, yeah, but in a way, no. It's like, that's kind of what I... Th- um, I kind of thought it was when I first saw it, but I've only seen it, like, twice. You know, it's been a... It's, well, at this point, it's hard for me to think about what the theatricals are of Fellowship and Two Towers. It, it still it doesn't impact the overall quality of the film like whether you watch extended or theatrical it's still the best of the three but in terms of scenes that gets added maybe but you do get the addition of the Saruman scene and also the mouth of Sauron shit which we haven't talked about yet which is also kind of cool cuttable but cool and uh, if you don't yeah. know what that is, when Aragon and company uh, head to the Black Gate through the Ruse Cruise, <laughs> um, they are greeted by an emissary known as the Mouth of Sauron. And uh, this is a freakish-looking motherfucker <clears throat> who has a giant mouth as big as his face and no eyeballs and a kind of like Sauron-y helmet. And he's basically there just to taunt them and say this is this is folly uh and he like has the mithril armor vest of frodo and he tosses it at their feet and he's like you you your ruse cruise is not gonna work because we already killed those hobbits and he's bluffing of course but uh even like gandalf looks like shocked and aragorn just cuts his head off and it's the dopest <laughs> shit ever because Aragorn's just like, I don't give a shit and I don't believe him. It's a trick. We're still doing the ruse cruise. And it's great. Now, it is cuttable because it changes nothing. Either way, right. they're going to, you know, have a last stand at the Black Gate and we'll still get Gimli and Legolas being friends and my heart exploding. Uh, it's, it's fine. It all works. You don't need the mouth of Sauron, but it's cool. I support it for being cool. 
Oh yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I, I, love I guess that just uh, by nature of it having that uh, Boromir thing that doesn't work, this is the worst extended edition. But that that doesn't <laughs> really say much to me. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'd yeah. still recommend watching it in extended over theatrical just to get additional things like that and the Saruman killing. Now let's talk about spiders. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> spiders. I fucking hate them. And and so does Peter Jackson. Apparently Peter Jackson has arachnophobia to a, a certain degree. And he, he I'm sure he had a lot of he fun. He chose the grossest spider designs that freaked him out the most for Shelob. So I guess that's who you'd you did a great want job. to uh, choose what's the grossest, the person who's deathly afraid of it. Um, Shelob is gross as shit. The effect is really good. I guess uh, the Weta digital artists here uh, had a bit of a challenge on their hands because there had just been a giant spider effect in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets that came out like a couple years before this, and they wanted mm-hmm. it to best that, but that was a really good effect at the time, so they, they had their work cut out for them. But I think they pulled it off quite well. Shelob looks disgusting and frightening, and that whole sequence is incredible. And uh, classic Peter Jackson shit. Just classic, disgusting horror. Uh, the score, even, uh, Howard Shore was told by Peter Jackson not to make Lord of the Rings music for once. He said, pretend like you're back doing a Cronenberg movie, because that's what this scene is more like. <laughs> and uh, Hell yeah. I, it works really well, because the score is fucking stresses me out. Un- until Sam shows up and, and then beats Shelob's ass, which is some hype shit. Sam just becomes like an expert combatant, dude, real quick. <laughs> I think he gets pretty lucky, but um, it's it's the thought that counts, you know? I'm glad yeah. that he pulled it off. Oh, yeah, with the with the, the orc tower, he got quite lucky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's super funny that they just all fucking beat each other's ass and die. <laughs> fucking orcs. How do they even have an army? They're, they would just kill each other. Because you got to imagine that's not the first time that they've had a big fight over nothing, right? If orcs are that yeah. volatile. It's funny. Uh, by the way, um, yeah. how fucking unsettling is it that there's no digital trickery to make Elijah Wood look dead and vacant? That's just Elijah Wood staring vacantly as as the not quite dead Frodo, like like webbed up and stunned by Shelob. Oh, it's just like makeup and stuff. I mean, well, yes, but his like he's actually staring into the abyss there. Uh, like that's excellent. Well, Elijah Wood is very talented at that. Like he can actually just stare for like forever. And, like, he uses that talent here, but he also uses it in Sin City as that fucking creepazoid that he plays, <laughs> just staring into the fucking abyss, like, vacantly. It, it's super unsettling for different reasons in both of those movies, but, like, here, it, it like, really 
makes him seem like he's dead when just Elijah Wood is really good at playing dead, which is interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah, he's like really, really good at it. It's fucking weird. Right. And then, uh, you know, we get to the end here, I suppose. Uh, Gollum's great in this movie, just like in Two Towers. Uh, but we yeah. get, like, some really climactic shit here where he, like, attacks them at Mount Doom. And the whole sequence at Mount mm-hmm. Doom is really well done, in my opinion. The music helps to sell how important and crazy it is. Because uh, oh, yeah. that's some of the best music in the entire trilogy right there. I think the track's called The End of All Things. It's fucking excellent. I used to have these soundtracks somewhere on a computer. Not anymore. In, in general, in general, man, like the, the music is like hitting on all strides in this film. It's definitely the strongest, I think. One of the best three, scores of all as time. As far as music goes. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, I think for some of it, you do need the context of the other films to make it work. Yeah, recurring but... themes are nice. Yeah. They're excellent recurring themes. Mm-hmm. So, of course, our heroes eventually succeed. We get that great shot of Gollum finally getting the precious, but then falling into lava, and then realizing, like, he's still trying to grab it even as he melts, which is so sad. Goodbye, Gollum. Yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> but uh, and then, uh, you know, Frodo and Sam have a moment and they're like, we're going to die. But then they don't because the eagles show up. So let's talk about the eagles. Because yeah, um, yeah, many assholes <laughs> over the years have pointed out this apparent plot hole of, you know, they should just be able to fly the magic eagles to Mount Doom. Like back in Fellowship of the Ring and just drop the ring in Mount Doom, right? I mean, I guess. No. No, like, they can't I thought, I thought do that. that. Like, so there are explanations for why the characters don't do this in the book, but Peter Jackson and company have admitted that they didn't feel the need to address it because they found it obvious that the watching eye of Sauron would immediately spot any incoming aerial assault. And the Nazgul are present there, and they have their flying dragon things. And they would have fought the eagles, probably. And they wouldn't have got far, most likely. Even if all this weren't true, there is information in the book, if you want to get technical, that uh, the eagles are proud beings, and they are not committed to any side of the conflict until it is over. Uh, once the ring is melted, Gandalf is able to use them to come to the aid of Frodo and Sam, but that's only after the conflict. Now, granted, even if it was just logically sound, why would you want them to do that? when the journey is the entire plot of all three movies and the reason why it is good. That's the real dumb part of the entire discussion that people have. 
why didn't they just do this is a dumb question when the movie would be deleted. True. <laughs> like, shut up is basically what I'm trying to say. Uh, now, <laughs> Peter Jackson does fuck up and has them come back in The Hobbit, which only adds more fuel to this dumb discussion. Thanks, Peter Jackson. And The Hobbit. No way, Peter Jackson made a big mistake with The Hobbit. Oh, we'll talk about that. Speaking of uh, fanboys being stupid. Yeah, hit me up. Now, I, I have to admit, and we've talked about this already, we have not read the books. And I am not saying that the books are bad by any stretch of the imagination. I am sure they are quite good. But the most controversial change to the source material is present here in Return of the King, and that is the removal of a pivotal chapter, this chapter being called The Scouring of the Shire. So in the book, Saruman is not killed at Isengard. Instead, we don't know what happens to him. Uh, he comes to the Shire to exact his revenge. Uh... He assumes the alias of Sharky, is who he's called, and he leads bands of ruffians to cut down trees, destroy homes, and pollute the air and water supplies of the Shire. Uh, Saruman has been stripped of all his wizard powers after the War for the Ring, but he still has a commanding voice and a partner in the groveling worm tongue. Now Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin come back home to find this fucked up scenario, and they lead their fellow hobbits to battle and usurp their despot. Uh, Wormtongue ends up stabbing Saruman as he does in the extended edition of this movie, but here Wormtongue is felled by hobbit archers, not Legolas. Now, Peter Jackson decided to remove this part of the story altogether because he found it anticlimactic considering it takes place after the One Ring has been destroyed. Fans of the novels feel the chapter is an integral one to the overall story, with some interpretations citing it as representative of post-World War II Britain, uh, which is an allegory Tolkien himself has denied. Uh, but it still has a lot of supporters. In fact, George R. R. Martin is one of those. He cites the bittersweet chapter as an inspiration for how he wants to end his own fantasy epic, A Song of Ice and Fire, a.k.a. Uh. Game of Thrones, if he uh, ever does end that, I suppose. He won't. Now, I, it's hard for me to know how to feel on this because... I never read this chapter. I don't know how good it is or not, but I think I can empathize with Peter Jackson wishing to remove it from an already crowded story and one that focuses entirely on the plot being destroying this ring. I can also see where Tolkien's coming from, where, you know, he wanted there to be a chapter after the war where, you know the war kind of came home with them, I guess. You know what I mean? Uh, I could see how that could be interpreted by many people over the years as, you know, uh, a variation of Tolkien's own feelings on how stuff was after World War II. There was still, you know, 
you know, not everything was all right after the war. And it hardly ever is. You know, war doesn't just end and then everything's good. There's blowback and fallout from everything. And I can see how that chapter is kind of representative of that. However, it is more climactic to end things after the more epic thing. You know, the the ring getting destroyed. I get wanting to end the story on that note. Because that makes that feel more like a coda than more of a story in and of itself than the ending to Return of the King. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I get both perspectives on it. Now, if this Lord of the Rings series on Amazon happens, I could see them adapting this because, well, now you have things divided by episodes. So... Yeah, I feel like you do have a much more faithful adaptation of the books. Yeah, the Scouring uh, of the Shire could be its whole own little episode that, you know, kind of works as a coda after the big battle for the One Ring. In a movie, I don't see it working as well. So I think Jackson made the right call. I agree. There's fan edits of this movie that put it back in, and I don't know how that works because there's a lot missing. But people are that obsessive about it. They're like, the, the the scouring of the Shire is important. It needs to be in there. And like I'm like, I, well, you know, adaptations have to change things to make things work. They really do. Like, it can't be one-to-one. Usually one-to-one is bad or boring. Just watch, like, Watchmen or something. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can fuck that right. up real hard by just going a one-to-one adaptation. But anyway, I think overall I, most uh, people agree that the movie good, no matter what, <laughs> happened in it. Yeah. Movie great, in fact. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's like... I keep saying this over and over again, but like it's truly wonderful. I uh, there's only so much you can say like thing. that people haven't said right. already. Um, the entire ending sequence there. Um, the epilogue always, if you always, will. yeah. The entire epilogue always makes me choke up. Um, every time <laughs> there is a, a bit of unintentional humor where um, so Frodo's in the bed recovering, and then like everyone comes in and he keeps saying their names. It's like, Mary, Pippin does not say Legolas, which is the funniest shit. (laughs) Like, there's that meme that someone made where it just shows, like, the lines being said after each thing. You know, you know, Gandalf, Gimli, and then just a bunch of question marks when he sees Legolas. (laughs) 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 He doesn't remember Legolas. I don't know. (laughs) So goofy. uh, I I do feel like... um, the 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 it's fascinating that Frodo isn't able to go back home again, and it's kind of a dark, bittersweet ending to the whole thing. That's really fascinating to me, actually, and makes a lot of sense when you think about Tolkien himself and how you know, you know what we just talked about a little bit with the scouring of the Shire chapter is kind of followed through on in Frodo going to the Grey Heavens, because when he comes back to the Shire, you know, he can't really come home again. He's been changed by the shit that happened to him. 
And sometimes that happens. You go through like a big giant experience, like I don't know, World War Two, and you come home and stuff's not, not the same anymore. So I can see how Tolkien kind of put a bit of his own life experiences into that a bit. Yeah. Now, granted, uh, Sam went through just as much, if not more. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's funny to me that he's just like, Sam, it's time for you to tell your story. And I'm like, you mean this one? That where he, Sam was a badass and killed a giant spider and carried you up Mount Doom? That's Sam's story. But okay, whatever. <laughs> I get the point. But it's weird that like the trauma is only focused on Frodo and not the, like the other hobbits are just fine. I guess. You know? It's a bit uneven. Yes. It's real strange. But I, it does work pretty well. Like, it still feels sad that, like, this has to happen at the end. And I like the, the brief moment of Bilbo. That's very nice closure to that whole thing. Yeah, sending Bilbo off. Yeah. But the power of friendship, man. <laughs> but that the whole last part is, man, when the... When Aragorn gets crowned, crowned and then... Like, he makes basically the entire race of man just bow to the hobbits. Like, that's damn. the shit. You bow to no one. Oh, that's so fucking based. And him getting to, uh, you know, get to be king is really cool. Uh, Vigo Mortensen is one of my favorite aspects of this entire thing. He's fucking excellent. He is, like, such a badass. And I will respect him forever for uh, when Peter Jackson came knocking and said, do you want to be in The Hobbit? He said, Aragorn's not in The Hobbit. <laughs> True. I respect him a lot for saying that and not being in those movies. Because uh, he could have been. He could have took the paycheck. But he was like, eh. And it kind of makes it feel a little more special to that degree, you know? Just like Legolas could have felt a little more special if he wasn't in The Hobbits too. But, uh, you know, there's only so much that The Hobbit can ruin. The Hobbit can't really ruin how good these movies are. Like, they're going to stand the test of time. Absolutely. By the way, the end credits have beautiful illustrations of the main cast members of the trilogy. At least in the extended edition. What did yours look like? Yeah, no, I had the same okay. thing. Okay, yeah. so... Perhaps it is merely coincidence, but after they go through all the cast members, they show the other prominent producers and executives, and they have images to accompany these names that are concept art or sketches from the production. Uh, so maybe it is merely coincidence that when Harvey Weinstein and Bob Weinstein's names appear in the credits... They are accompanied by a sketch of a man fighting off two giant trolls. <laughs> Who can say, really, whether that is just a coincidence, Justin? <laughs> Might just be a hair hmm. one. Big, big hmm. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, 
the film was a massive success. It had, you know, a budget around $94 million, give or take. You know, obviously you're splitting the budget between the three movies. Grossed $1.142 billion. Uh, it was the second film in history to cross the $1 billion mark after Titanic in 97. Coincidentally, Bernard Hill is in both of them. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, that's a fun little It fact. was also the highest grossing film of 2003, and at the time, the second highest grossing film of all time. Uh, currently, it is ranked 24th on that list, because times have changed, and... You know, lots of movies make a billion dollars now. Uh, would you care to hazard a guess as to what movie is currently ranked above Return of the King? Uh, the hint is that it is a superhero film. Go ahead, Justin. It's the Avengers. No, that's way higher. Oh, okay. Hmm. Is it is it Iron Man? Iron Man wrong two? universe three. Oh, Spider Man two. The wrong company. Fuck. Okay, it's it Fuck, is uh, Aquaman be. made more money than this. Oh my god! I don't even know how that's possible, um, but apparently so. Yes. That's wild. Yeah. Um, Turn of the King is a little bit better than Aquaman, but, uh, just, just, just a little a bit. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it was a critical success as well, just like the rest of the trilogy. We got a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, the highest for a Middle-Earth movie remains The Two Towers with a 95. I'm not sure what contributed to that one being the highest. Somebody didn't like three, but really liked two, and skewed the results. I don't know who you are, but fuck you, dude. That's stupid. <laughs> what are you doing, man? And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it won Best Picture, which is kind of crazy because it's a fantasy, action, nerdy as fuck movie. These things aren't necessarily at the top of my mind when I think of movies that win Oscars, you know? But even the Academy recognized that this is something that was special. And Boyd is, did it win a lot of Oscars. It was nominated for 11. Okay. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Visual Effects, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Film Editing. It won all of those. It's sweeped. Nominated yep. for 11, won 11. Uh, this tied a record set by Ben-Hur and Titanic for most Oscars won by a single film with 11. All three of those are tied for 11. As far as franchises go, The Lord of the Rings has the most Oscar nominations of any franchise at 30 total nominations, surpassing The Godfather, which had 28 total across all three Godfather movies. That is wild. Yes. What's wild is I learned today that Godfather 3 got nominated for Best Picture. That is that, that is insane. 
<laughs> I just be I've never seen it, so I don't know if it's bad or not. So it's well, awful. I'll, I'll take your word for it. We'll see it eventually on the Get and Jump show, I think. I'm, I'm sure we will. Yeah, I think so. Do you think by then there'll be a fourth Godfather movie straight to Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like that, that, Maybe, like that yeah. nurse ratchet show where it's just it's just called it's just called like uh <laughs> it's just about like a random like like side character in the Godfather. Like like Lu- Lucio Brazzi the show, his origin, everything that led up to him getting killed in Godfather 1. Okay, cool. Great. Thank oh you. My God. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Excellent idea. Thank, Thank you, you, Netflix. But yeah, um, it's it's been a hell of a time going through these again. I've been really enjoying it. I, I absolutely loved it. I am... These movies are very... Like, I, I can't, I've been saying it over and over. are very, very special to me. It's really nice to, you know, go through them again. And I watch them about once a year anyway. Yeah. But I might just be watching them again because after my girlfriend watched the third one with me, she said, I want to watch the first two again. I'm like, I'm not going to complain. See if you can find them extended, dude. Yeah, I'll see They're what super I can do. They're worth it. I don't know if she's going to want to watch The Ascendants. One of the gripes she has about Lord of the Rings is that it takes too long. It's like, you can always just watch them in chunks. It is really long, but I think a weird thing that, well, you'd have to get the DVDs, but the extended DVDs, you can kind of watch them like they're six movies. And that's mm-hmm. kind of cool, because they're divided into more digestible chunks that way by disc. So, maybe. I suppose you could find the VHSs as well, Justin, if you can uh, go to your local uh, antique shop and find the VHSs. Good luck. Hell yeah, dude, that's exactly what I want to (laughs) do. Hopefully there's no spider eggs in them VHSs. Oh, dude, there probably will be. Exactly what I want to do. Just unleash a bunch of spiders when I stick it in my VHS. <laughs> the Shelob scene happens totally in have. real life as you watch the Shelob scene in the movie. Ugh. Get on my little hobbit sword and slash its legs. Yeah, dude. Get back, you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. At, I'm, I'm good with no. Uh, I, I'm part of the no Shelob in my VCR campaign. <laughs> You could sign up now for a low price of nineteen ninety nine straight to my bank account. <laughs> you join me in this campaign. I can't believe Shelob is in my VCR. This is bullshit. Gonna have to take it to the repair shop. So next week we're next watching The um, Hobbit One. My enthusiasm has crashed. <laughs> An unexpected journey, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now this, I is the preface. I don't think this movie is bad. I don't stretch, think the actually. Hobbit is bad. I just think it's bloated, and not nearly as good in any way, shape, or form as the Lord of the Rings. And I think it's a bit of a misguided adaptation that tried to turn a book that is not Lord of the Rings at all into the Lord of the Rings. You know, there's a reason why The Hobbit came out first. It's very different from how Tolkien wrote for Lord of the Rings. 
you know it, it doesn't really yeah. flow the same way in trying to make it also this way also also children's right but there is a lot of things that i do like about these movies and i'm excited to at least see those things again uh i'm going to be re-watching them Lindsay ellis videos i believe and uh getting immersed in uh everything that went wrong which is interesting in and of itself to me so i'm assuming next week will be pretty packed with talking about all that um mm-hmm. much like for fellowship i'm assuming that the majority of next week will be discussing the making of and then we can kind of like have some breathing room for parts two and three. Yeah, which would be a lot of bullshit to talk about. So I'm in yeah, for that. This is a lot. Um. <laughs> anyway, that's next time. This time, make sure you um, message me and ask about the no opener VCR campaign. Low price of nineteen ninety nine straight to my cash app. You advocate not having cheap in your feet. I think all you have to do is just not put VHSs in your home. Shh, stop it. Stop ruining the fucking scheme. What is wrong? Oh. Will you let me be a fuck for like two seconds? No. God. Well, you know. Alright, <laughs> hang on a second. Uh-oh. Election results. Okay, we're doing this live. Now nah, we're at 264. Sorry. <laughs> it's been 264 for like a week. I can't wait till the year 2080 where we can finally find out who is president in 2020, Justin. Oh yeah, brother. Well, hopefully next week we know who's president. Until then, uh, <laughs> uh, bye, y'all. Yeah, let's see, let's see you later. Please, Nevada, count uh, your fucking no, votes. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs>